the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us this afternoon. Looking forward to a conversation in our second hour with Ron Post. Now, that name may or may not be familiar to you. Ron Post is the founder of Northwest Medical Teams, and that has been a um, a ministry, a relief organization since 1979, somewhere around the late 1970s, that has really straddled both Oregon and Washington. The name now is Medical Teams International. They have such a uh, such support, broad support across the country and around the world that Medical Teams International is a more appropriate name for the scope of what they do. But Ron Post is going to join us. He's in his 80s now, and as I mentioned, he's the founder of Northwest Medical Teams. He'll talk about that. And one of the uh, offshoots of Medical Teams International, uh, the Care Connect, Care and Connect Dental Care Program. We'll tell you more about that. And perhaps most importantly, give you an opportunity to learn more and support the work that they are doing and have done so well for decades right here from the Pacific Northwest. I know the Portland area and Seattle have been um, essentially the the funding mechanism for that uh, organization for many, many years. So that's coming up in our second hour, and I'm looking forward to sharing that conversation with you. Well, this has been a very busy news day. And while, you know, we talk about the news here, I don't want to give the impression that these headlines are guiding principles for me, that when I talk about the Chinese and cyber attacks that are growing in concern or the presidential election, that I am uh, wringing my hands in anticipation and anxiety of the outcome of all of these things. I share them with you because I think it's important for us to know what's going on in the world. But we are not of the world. We're in it. And we have a perspective that is from the one who created and sustains the world. The presidential election that's coming up, that person is going to serve for four to eight years. Is it as big a deal as we might think it is? Oh, it's very important that it, in light of the eternal truths that we know and from God's word, is it as important as um, as some might suggest? You know, I'm planning on participating. I'm going to learn as much as I can to cast an informed vote on the presidential race and all the down ticket um, races as well. But I have a, a, a biblical perspective that puts those things into, well, perspective. So we share this stuff not to overwhelm you or to make you anxious about it, but to put it into perspective. And I assume that that's what you will do as followers of Jesus. And most of you listening are and that we are uh, prepared for what's coming next. Uh, Now, we are prepared ultimately uh, spiritually because we are ambassadors of Christ and he has given us everything we need for pertaining to life and godliness. But in terms of what's happening in the world, to know what's happening in the world. So that's what we do. Well, China's strategic plan to infiltrate the U.S. cyber infrastructure includes attempts to induce panic 
and unsettle everyday American life. That's according to a witness testifying before Congress earlier today. Jen Easterly is the director of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, speaking to the House Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party, that ransomware attacks on U.S. businesses or critical systems are intended to induce societal panic. Now, this, it seems to me, is a great opportunity. If they succeed, how will we, as followers of Jesus, respond? With the same panic or with a uh, peace that surpasses understanding? It's inexplicable, can only be explained in light of our faith. Uh, The article goes on to point out that it is Chinese military doctrine to attempt to induce societal panic in their uh, adversary. And arguably, the Chinese government got a little bit of a taste of this in this uh, the aftermath of the ransomware attack on Colonial Pipeline in May of 2021 that shut down gas to the eastern seaboard for several days. She went on to say. Noting Americans couldn't get to work, they couldn't take their kids to school, they couldn't get folks to the hospital, it caused a bit of a panic. And that's part of the strategy. She goes on, and I'm quoting, Now imagine that on a massive scale, imagine not one pipeline, but many pipelines disrupted and telecommunications going down so people can't use their cell phones. People start getting sick from polluted water. Trains get derailed. Air traffic control systems, port control systems are malfunctioning. Well, she continued, this is truly an everything, everywhere, all at once scenario. And again, that is apparently part of the goal. Easterly was one of four witnesses to the CCP cyber threat to the American homeland and national security hearing, joining General Paul Naxone, commander of the U.S. uh, Cyber Command, FBI Director Christopher Wray and Harry Cocker, uh, Jr., the director of the White House Office for the National Cyber Director. Well, during the same hearing, the FBI director echoed the sentiments, saying there is much more Congress and the rest of the federal government need to do to ensure Americans are safe from potential cyber threats posed by the Chinese government. Well, Ray also announced that his bureau effectively eliminated a Chinese malware attack on small businesses located in the United States, saying just this morning, we, the FBI, announced an operation where we and our partners identified hundreds of routers that had been taken over by the PRC, state-sponsored hacking groups known as the Volt Typhoon. The Volt Typhoon malware enabled Chinese to hide, among other things, pre-operational reconnaissance and network exploitation against critical infrastructure like our communications, energy, transportation and water sectors. He specified that the hacking group intended to find and prepare to destroy or degrade the civilian critical infrastructure that keeps us safe and prosperous. That's a direct quote. Now, he continued, and let's be clear, cyber threats to our critical infrastructure represent real world threats to our physical safety. So working with our partners, the FBI shut down Volt Typhoon and the access that enabled this operation was an important step. But there's a whole lot more to do and we need your help to do it. End quote. Well, putting the cyber disparity between China and the U.S. into context. And this I found rather eye opening. Ray said, China, formerly the People's Republic of China, has a much larger cyber force that remains dedicated and funded to dominate the cyber realm. He said the U.S., even if it were to dedicate all of its cyber personnel to China, would still be outnumbered by at least 50 to 1. To quantify what we're up against, the PRC has a bigger hacking program 
than uh, that of every major nation combined. In fact, if you look, if you took rather every one of the FBI's cyber agents and intelligence analysts and focus them exclusively heavily on the China threat, China's hackers would still outnumber FBI cyber personnel by at least 50 to 1. The director said he said any continued cyber defense should include the American public, noting only the government and the private sector could effectively protect against the potential Chinese threat. Well, General um, Naxone, he also answered questions about how to protect from the potential threat, emphasizing the need to renew Section 702. It's a provision of the FISA Amendment Act of 2008. He said Section 702 is the most important authority that the National Security Agency uses every single day to keep Americans safe and to secure our nation. As someone who was at the Pentagon on 9-11 to consider that we would return to the days before Section 702 where we couldn't connect the dots is almost inexplicable to me. The other piece that I would add to your question is Section 702 is so agile that it provides us an ability to see the Chinese chemical that is being used to feed fentanyl, which is the scourge of our nation. More than 100,000 Americans lost their lives in 2022. And he went on from there. Um, But again, this is very sobering to consider the vulnerability we have here in the United States, given this cyber Uh, attack capacity of the People's Republic of China. We'll continue to look at the PRC in just a few moments, but we do need to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. I'm Georgine Rice. Well, the Defense Department's latest annual China military power report gets a Um, a lot right. It accurately identifies the scope of China's global ambitions and many of the structural changes that are being implemented by Chinese leader Xi Jinping to make China the preeminent military power in Asia and the Pacific. Even so, the report appears to be to undersell rather the threat posed by China and what will be required from the U.S. to counter it. What the report gets right is uh, correctly focuses on the extent of China's military buildup and modernization program. In 22, the Chinese Navy continued to beef up what is already the world's largest fleet, working on delivering its third aircraft carrier and third amphibious salt ship, as well as additional guided missile destroyers, cruisers and frigates. Beijing's Navy will soon be able to conduct long range precision strikes against land targets from both its submarine and surface combatants. Well, the Chinese Air Force continues to modernize and produce increasingly advanced, domestically built manned and unmanned aircraft. Together with the Chinese Navy air assets, it now constitutes the largest aviation force in Indo-Pacific. Uh, led by its fifth-generation fighter, the Ju-20, Beijing's Air Force is on its way to becoming the largest in the world. And perhaps most worrying, the report documents that over the last 12 months, China built 100 new nuclear weapons, making it the fastest-growing nuclear power on the planet. Beijing is on track to numerically match the U.S. nuclear arsenal by 2032. The report also noted that China is deploying its growing military power in increasingly provocative ways over the last two years, It conducted over 280 coercive and risky air intercepts against the United States and its allies. And finally, the report documents that growing use of Chinese naval assets to intimidate and coerce fishing fleets operating in international waters, not only in the Western Pacific, but as far afield as Latin America. All of this done against the uh, the backdrop of an unprecedented number of air and maritime exercises in the waters and skies around Taiwan. Well, what the report got wrong, this is according to 
One observer, Robert Peters and Wilson Beaver, I guess two observers, what the report gets wrong is they point out that while these developments are all legitimate cause for concern, particularly for defense planners seeking to bolster America's capabilities, the report errs by relying on China's official defense budget top line of $230 billion. On its face, the number is a fraction of the $886 billion that Congress just authorized for the U.S. defense budget. This comparison will invariably lead some observers to claim the U.S. military is three or four times more capable than China's, but that isn't necessarily true. As the paper acknowledges, China's real defense budget is likely far higher. European think tanks, they've estimated the real Chinese defense spending is at at least 30 percent to 40 percent higher than the official budget. Numerous analysis have concluded that Chinese government excludes significant sums from the official figures to hide the extent of its military buildup. At the very least, we know that China's budget doesn't include details on research and development spending, a spending bucket that accounts for more than $140 billion in the U.S. defense budget. To its credit, the Pentagon report does consider Beijing's military civil fusion development strategy in which China leverages its civilian technology and industrial base to massively enhance the capabilities of its defense industrial base. Confusingly, the report doesn't attempt to account for either of these significant considerations in its treatment of China's defense budget top line. The report also fails to account for differences in American and Chinese purchasing power. Simply put, defense spending goes a lot further in China than it does in the United States because labor and material costs are lower in China. For example, Chinese military personnel earn only about one fourth of what American service members do. Now, confusingly, the report states that the economic forecasters project that China's economic growth will slow during the next 10 years from about 3 percent in 2022 to around 4 percent in 2025. Now, leaving aside the obvious math issue, economic growth of around 4 percent is more than enough for the world's second largest economy to continue growing its military spending. Earlier this year, Senator Dan Sullivan, let me get that right, the Republican out of Alaska, revealed that an internal U.S. government estimate put the Chinese defense budget at roughly $700 billion. If this number is accurate, the Department of Defense should have included it in its report, internally estimating the Chinese budget to around $700 billion while telling Congress and the public that it's only $230 billion will create a massive disconnect between the U.S. government's sense of the threat posed by China's military spending and the public's perception of it. Well, during the Cold War, the Defense Department drew on its enormous quantitative and intelligence resources to accurately assess the Soviet defense budget. It should do so now to better understand the actual Chinese defense budget and how it uh, spends its financial resources in comparison with the United States. Because as worrying as this report is, it almost certainly underestimates the threat posed by China. And again, that's an analysis. um, Robert Peters and Wilson Beaver uh, from yesterday on the Chinese military. And then uh, this Leon Panetta told lawmakers that a proposed electric vehicle battery plant in Michigan could be used for Chinese espionage. And this is... uh, 
uh, concern, and not just in this location, but other areas as well. The former CIA director and defense secretary, he told lawmakers that a proposed electric vehicle battery plant in Michigan could be used for other purposes, for espionage. Panetta made the comments during a House Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party hearing Tuesday afternoon that focused on the Chinese Communist Party's support for American uh, adversaries. The former CIA director, he answered in the affirmative when a representative, John Moulinier from Michigan, asked if China can use the plant, uh, could use the plant, which is being developed by a subsidiary uh, China-based uh, firm for espionage. I don't think there's any question that they're going to take advantage of that situation, he remarked. And I think we have a very uh, have to be very vigilant about what is going on. He used more colorful language. That's just the way they operate. They'll uh, establish a manufacturing unit. They'll establish whatever they can. And then they will use that for their own intelligence purposes. They will use that for their own economic purposes. And he goes on from there. Meanwhile, a new group is set to launch. um, Well, it was today a combat uh, to combat Chinese Communist Party influence in the United States. Uh, State Armor. It's a nonprofit organization. It will concentrate on global security threats. We'll start uh, by working to expose malign uh, Communist Party influence operations to the public and lawmakers nationwide. States are now on the front lines against foreign adversaries. In fact, for years, states have been targeted by well-resourced, technologically sophisticated foreign adversaries, particularly Communist China, uh, China, the State Armor founder and CEO Michael Lucci. Uh, said in a statement. He went on to say the Chinese Communist Party is engaged in a broad effort to supplement, uh, to supplant rather, supplant the United States so it can rewrite global norms according to its authoritarian model. To achieve its goal, it will aggressively pursue a strategy to gain economic leverage over state and local governments, to make states dependent on their technologies, and to suppress the First Amendment protected speech of Chinese dissidents within America. Well, in other news, uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says salt has been extremely detrimental to his state. Uh, the House Speaker is uh, coming out in support of a bipartisan tax deal scheduled for a vote later on Wednesday. The Tax Relief for American Families and Workers Act is important bipartisan legislation, they say, to revive conservative pro-growth tax reform. Johnson made a statement saying, crucially, the bill also ends a wasteful COVID era program, saving taxpayers tens of billions of dollars. Chairman Smith deserves great credit for bringing this bipartisan bill through committee with a strong vote of confidence and for marking up related bills under regular order earlier in this uh, Congress. This bottom up process is a good example of how Congress is supposed to make law. Well, the bill is a result of a negotiations between House Ways and Means Committee Chairman Jason Smith out of Missouri and Senate Finance Committee Chairman Ron Wyden of Oregon. It's aimed to at temporarily expanding the child tax credit while also reviving key tax deductions for small businesses, including for research and development con- uh, conducted inside the U.S. However, it's faced pushback from an unusual coalition of conservatives and moderate Republicans, albeit for different reasons. GOP hardliners have uh, claimed the bill, uh, the child tax credit, would be available to those in the country illegally, something Smith has vehemently denied. Meanwhile, moderates specifically from the suburbs outside the major cities like New York City and Los Angeles were frustrated the bill doesn't touch state and local tax deduction caps. They've argued it's a critical issue for their swing district constituents and could make or break House Republicans' chances of holding on to their razor-thin majority 
in November. A lot going on in Washington. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll tell you about uh, pro-lifers who were targeted by the Biden Department of Justice. They have been found guilty and could face up to 11 years in prison. The jury is out to determine their fate. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. I'm Georgine Rice. Coming up later in our second hour, a conversation with Ron Post, the founder of Northwest Medical Teams, now Medical Teams International. We'll also talk about their Care and Connect dental care program. Ron Post joining us in the five o'clock hour. Well, a Nashville jury found six pro-life activists guilty on Tuesday of violating the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act and conspiracy against rights based on charges brought by President Joe Biden's Department of Justice. Well, the peaceful pro-life activists, uh, Chet Gallagher, Coleman Boyd, Heather Adani, uh, Cal Zastro, Dennis Green and Paul Vaughn face up to 11 years in prison due to their peaceful protest in the hallway outside a Mount Juliet abortion clinic in March of 21. The Department of Justice's October 2022 release about the charges alleges that Gallagher utilized social media to promote a series of anti-abortion events scheduled for March the 4th through the 7th in Nashville. Other co-conspirators then utilized Facebook to coordinate travel and logistics and to identify other participants for the blockade. And they use the word blockade. Well, in his social media post, Gallagher referred to the blockade as a rescue. The Justice Department um, release says Boyd also began a Facebook live stream broadcast of the clinic uh, blockade at 745 a.m. This live stream was titled in part uh, Mount Juliet, Tennessee Rescue, March 5th. 2021, I never referred to as a blockade, rather a rescue, and live-streamed uh, the event as his uh, co-conspirators, as they put them, and others blocked the clinic's entry doors and prevented a, a, a patient and an employee from entering, end quote. Well, the release continues. The live stream also broadcast members of the group attempting to engage a patient and her companion um, as uh, her companion, as Boyd told this live stream audience that the patient was a mom coming to kill her baby. Well, Vaughn previously told the uh, Daily Signal that the FBI came to the door of his home, guns pointed at the door, banging on the house, yelling and screaming, open up, open up, FBI. Uh, when I opened the door, he says, and saw the guns pointed at me, I asked them what they wanted, who they were looking for, and they said they wanted me. He had kids in the yard walking out to get in the car to go to school. I was about to take them to school and other kids in the house, he continued. So seeing that the easiest path to de-escalation was me in handcuffs, I steps outside and put an end to the ranting and banging and the yelling. Well, after the FBI put him in handcuffs and in the car, he said his wife came outside She had been in the back of the house with their 18-month-old baby, all the children witnessing this. Vaughn's wife took video of the incident, which she provided to the Daily Signal. The video shows FBI agents outside the family home. The wife follows them, videotaping their conversation. I want to know why you were banging on the door with a gun, he says. Are you not going to tell me anything? No, we are not, one agent replies. Another says, I tried. No, you didn't, she shouts. You did not try. Well, in March... Attorneys with the Thomas More Society argued on behalf of Vaughn that the Biden Department of Justice has demonstrated a pattern of selectively enforcing the FACE Act against pro-life individuals. His attorney asked the court to dismiss the Department of Justice indictment on the grounds of selective prosecution, claiming that the FACE Act is an unconstitutional content-based regulation of speech that violates the Religious Freedom Restoration Act and the Free Exercise Clause of the First Amendment. Defendants submit to the government... Um, 
has uh, engaged in selective and or vindictive prosecution motivated by an intent to punish defendants for the content of their viewpoints and their protected expressions, thus making this a case of unconstitutional application of the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act, the filing says. What continues, in addition, FACE is an unconstitutional content-based regulation of speech. As applied, it violates the Religious Freedom Restoration Act as well as the other constitutional amendments. The filing also points out that the Department of Justice hauled Vaughn and the 10 other defendants into court for a single alleged nonviolent violation of the FACE Act with over 170 uncharged incidents of destruction and vandalism of pro-life centers and the churches across the country. The Department of Justice has demonstrated clear and illegal hostility toward the pro-life viewpoint in its statements and enforcement decisions, running roughshod over fundamental religious freedoms and free speech rights and bringing an illegal selective prosecution here, the filing says. Well, the court filing repeatedly cites the Daily Signal's report examining uh, Kristen Clark, the Department of Justice Assistant Attorney General for Civil Rights, who oversees the prosecution of the FACE Act and is openly hostile to pregnancy centers. The filing also cites the Daily Signal's report on Republican Ohio Representative Jim Jordan launching a congressional inquiry into the FBI's raid on Mark Houck. But they are facing... um, Uh, They've already been found guilty. Their sentencing phase has begun, and the jury is out on that even now. In other news, um, Senator Lindsey Graham told Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg, you have blood on your hands after referencing the death by suicide of South Carolina State Representative Branda Guffey's teen following an Instagram sextortion scam. Well, Senator Graham gave the harsh rebuke to Mark Zuckerberg at the outset of today's highly anticipated big tech hearing on child exploitation online. Mr. Zuckerberg, you and the companies before us, I know you don't mean it to uh, to be so, but you have blood on your hands. Graham, the ranking member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, said garnering applause from the audience that included many of the parents of children whose lives have ended. You have a product that's killing people, end quote. Well, Graham referenced South Carolina State Representative Brandon Guffey, who's suing Instagram after his 17-year-old son Gavin died by suicide after falling victim to an extortion group from Nigeria operating through the Meta-owned app. Uh, they threatened the young man that uh, you don't, um, if you don't give us money, we're going to expose these photos. He gave them money, but it wasn't enough. They kept threatening, and he killed himself. They threatened Mr. Guffey and his son, um, they uh, use some other language by any uh, other definition. Uh, he said, you are responsible. Well, Graham noted that Congress has taken action to regulate cigarettes and tobacco and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives regulates guns. Yet social media companies are largely shielded from being held liable in court under Section 230 of Title 47 of the United States Code that was enacted as part of the Communications Decency Act of 96. The bottom line is you can't be sued. You should be. And these emails would be great for punitive damages, Graham said, referencing Senator Blumenthal and Senator Blackburn, whom he dubbed the dynamic duo for recently releasing 90 pages of internal emails from uh, fall of 21 showing top meta officials weighing in additional um, uh, 
In addition of uh, dozens of engineers and other employers to focus on children's well-being and safety. The emails show that one proposal to Zuckerberg for 45 new staff members was declined, and these would have been assigned to protect children. But the courtrooms closed to every American abuse by all companies in front of me. Of all people in America, we should give blanket liability protection to this. This would be the last group I would pick. It is now time to repeal Section 230. Graham said, we live in an America in 2024 where there is no regulatory body dealing with the most profitable, biggest companies in the history of the world that can't they can't be sued. And there's not one law on the books that's meaningful in protecting the American consumer. Well, there's much more to be said about this story. And uh, in that uh, 700 page report, there are details of how they collaborated to prevent the protection of children, how they allowed certain activity among adults to uh, continue and to give them access to children and a, a number of other things. It's a report certainly worth reading, but the hearing was uh, certainly a painful one for those social media uh, tech giants, predominantly CEOs who were there present being asked questions and failing to do so satisfactorily. And of course the parents uh, who were there, whose children had, whose sons and daughters had ended their lives or whose lives were taken from them, uh, by various means through their connection with social media, held those children's pictures aloft, and it made for a very uncomfortable but riveting uh, hearing earlier today. Well, in other news, poor communication and a refusal to adapt to evolving scientific evidence led to unnecessary school closures and the restriction of outdoor activity during the COVID outbreak, contributing to the pandemic chaos that plagued the country far more than two years a scaling a rather scathing report published Monday revealed well the report pandemic lessons from the 2024 presidential election was published in the British Medical Journal and draws on a breadth of scientific studies to assess the policy failures that led to significantly higher death rates in the US than in any other developed countries during the devastating global covid-19 pandemic the report goes on one nation stood out The United States saw eye-watering high death rates compared with its peer nations. The 1.16 million Americans killed by COVID-19 represent 16% of global deaths in a nation with 4% of the world's population, the authors wrote. Duke University professor Gavin Yami and Drexel University professor Anna Rue. Rue and Yancey blame poor communication at the federal level as well as structural factors inherent to the American system of government for many of the policy failures and specifically call out overreach at the state level for compounding the hardship of the pandemic. They went on the absence of timely evidence and uh, delayed or incomplete communication of what was known also led to overreach, which itself had harmful consequences. For example, even after studies had shown that uh, formite transmission was rare and transmission outdoors was much less common than indoors. Some municipalities and states kept parks, playgrounds and beaches closed. Even after research had shown that schools could be reopened safely with basic public health measures, that too, uh, jurisdictions kept teaching online uh, only. And it goes on from there. We need to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. Just a reminder, coming up in our second hour, a conversation with Ron Post, founder of Medical Teams International. He is actually the founder of Northwest Medical Teams, now Medical Teams International. Anyway, we'll catch up with him, find out what he has done, what he's doing in the future, and some good news in there as well. So that's coming up in the 5 o'clock hour.
Well, the Federal Reserve on Wednesday held interest rates steady for the fourth straight time and cracked open the door for to reducing rates later this year if inflation continues to subside. The widely expected decision left interest rates unchanged at a range of 5.25 percent to 5.5 percent, the highest level in 22 years. Policymakers also made substantial changes to their post-meeting statements, softening some of their hawkish language. Officials dropped a sentence that suggested additional hikes may be warranted and swapped in more neutral language about the path of monetary policy in the coming months. The policy-setting Federal um, Open Market Committee acknowledged that the risks to achieving its employment and inflation goals are moving into better balance, but cautioned that the rate cuts are not imminent. So there you go. Well, Navy Reserve veteran Michael Cassidy has been charged with a hate crime after he beheaded a satanic statue In the Iowa State Capitol, according to a press statement from the local attorney's office, well, Cassidy, who said that he was um, committing an act of Christian civil disobedience after he destroyed a pagan uh, Baphomet statue that was displayed in the state capitol, made national headlines for his actions. Well, court records show Cassidy is scheduled to be arraigned on the 15th of February in Des Moines. Uh, he was um, has raised about $100,000 for his legal defense, according to his Give, Send, Go site. His fundraising site also indicates that uh, faces uh, he faces five years in prison on a hate crimes charge. One of Cassidy's uh, lawyers uh, told Fox News Digital in a statement that he hopes the district attorney's office will dismiss the charge against his client. It is deeply disappointing that my client is being targeted with the type of charge. His nonviolent actions were motivated by his sincere and deeply held religious faith. Nothing he did was targeted at any specific individual or organization. I hope that as the DA's office carefully reviews the facts of this case, they will dismiss the charge. Cassidy was initially cited for criminal mischief in the fourth degree and released after he told security that he destroyed the statue. He turned himself in, essentially. The felony charge was added because a spokesperson for the Polk County Attorney's Office claimed the evidence indicated that Cassidy destroyed the statue for religious reasons, hence a hate crime. Evidence shows the defendant made statements to law enforcement and the public indicating he destroyed the property because of the victim's religion. Well, Hicks said in a statement that based on information from the satanic Temple, the cost to replace or repair the statue would um, be between $750 and $1,500, making its destruction an aggravated misdemeanor. Uh, in fact, the um, temple has filed a damage estimate, putting the cost uh, to replacing it at $3,000. What makes the uh, charge a felony, Hicks says, is the hate crime statute. Well, Cassidy's attorney has written in court filings that the Satanic Temple, which organized the pagan Baphomet display, Uh, was intended to evoke strong emotions and incite others. It had candles that were lit around it as well, so it wasn't just the statue. In a statement following the destruction of the statue, Iowa Republican Governor Kim Reynolds said she found the statue absolutely objectionable, but that the best response to objectionable speech is more speech and prayer. The Polk County Attorney's Office didn't respond to requests for comment on what's next. But in February, mid-February, he will face uh, the court. The House Homeland Security Committee on Tuesday approved along party lines two articles of impeachment against Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, teeing up a floor vote as early as next week to impeach the embattled Biden official. 
The committee voted along party lines to approve the two impeachment articles, which accuse Mayorkas of having repeatedly violated laws enacted by Congress regarding immigration and border security and of having made false statements to Congress that the border is secure and closed and that DHS is in operational control of the border. The articles will now go to the House, where they will be voted on by on the House floor. The vote came after a lengthy and at times fiery hearing in which Republicans outlined their case for why Mayorkas should be removed from office for allegedly mishandling the crisis at the southern border, and Democrats accused Republicans of debasing the impeachment process for political purposes. <laughs> That's a laugh. For political purposes. Today is a grave day, Chairman Mark Green said. We have not appro- approached this day or this process lightly. Secretary Mayorkas's actions have forced our hand. We cannot allow this border crisis to continue. Well, in other news, um, the number three House Republican is calling on GOP colleagues to be realistic about their expectations for border negotiations between the Senate and the White House. I think they should be bringing H.R. 2 back. That would seal the southern border, and that should be a Republican-Democrat priority. But if they don't bring it back in full, we just have to see what it is that they are bringing. House Majority Whip Tom Emmer, Republican out of Minnesota, said on Tuesday, it's still unclear whether the bipartisan uh, bipartisan Senate group working on the border security deal with the White House will produce any results. Well, Speaker Johnson, the Republican out of Louisiana... He's made clear House Republicans back House Resolution 2, the border bill they passed last summer. Democrats panned it as a non-starter. Some GOP hardliners in the House and Senate have signaled that they oppose anything less than H.R. 2, which includes provisions like remain in Mexico and new border wall construction. But Emmer warned his colleagues to view H.R. 2 as a starting point in the negotiations rather than the only option. Our members get that we control one half of one third of the of the government. We don't have everything. So, you know, you you. Uh, to get everything you want, maybe a little bit wishful, he said, but that's where we start. We start with HR2, and then we show us some um, show, uh, they show us what they've got, and we figure things out. So the back and forth will and has continued. President Biden has uh, tapped out on control of the uh, border, saying, I've done all that I can. Well, speaking to reporters from the South Lawn of the White House on Tuesday, while standing in front of a noisy Marine One, as he often does to avoid any kind of lengthy questioning, the president again claimed he doesn't have the power to fix the current crisis at the border and that it's up to the Republicans to pass new legislation to solve the issue. Have you done everything you can do with the executive authority on the border? President, I've done all I can do. Just give me the power. Give me the Border Patrol. Give me the people. The judges, give me the people who can stop this and make it work right. Huh. Uh, Bill Melligan, he um, weighs in. Our photographer says volunteer groups are visiting camps of illegal immigrants in the area who are waiting to be picked up by Border Patrol and are handing out these Welcome to the USA flyers, which advise them of next steps and claim Border Patrol agents lie and manipulate people so they shouldn't be respected or followed. The president only had the authority. I guess that's the only thing that's really missing. Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor opened up on Monday about the frustration she said she's experienced daily as the high court's conservative supermajority continues to move the country further to the right. I live in frustration, she says. And as you heard, early loss, uh, every loss truly traumatizes me in my stomach and in my heart. 
but I have to get up the next morning and keep on fighting. Okay, she's the Supreme Court justice. You're not fighting, you're interpreting. What does the law say? That, that's all you do. You're not legislating, you're not advocating, you're simply interpreting the Constitution and applying it. Not exactly fighting. Anyway, Sotomayor, the uh, court's senior liberal member, said at an event at the University of California, Berkeley School of Law. Some are suggesting she should resign for her own stomach's sake, perhaps. Well, last term, the Supreme Court blocked affirmative action in college admissions, affirmed a Christian designer could not be compelled to create custom wedding websites for same-sex couples in violation of her beliefs, and struck down the Biden administration's plan to grant student loan forgiveness to nearly 40 million Americans. Uh, This term, the Supreme Court will have to rule on cases dealing with Trump's ballot eligibility, abortion, abortion, rather, social media, censorship, the administrative state, and the Second Amendment. Let's just hope she can survive it without gastrointestinal surgery. One can only hope. Well, federal authorities caught a known terrorist, but then released him into the country. Federal authorities caught a terrorist at the U.S. southern border and released him into the country where he roamed freely for nearly a year before being arrested in Minnesota just days ago. The Border Patrol that is completely overwhelmed, I might add, caught 172 terror watch list suspects attempting to enter the U.S. illegally during fiscal year 23. Former Homeland Security officials say the constant deluge of immigrants hitting the southern border is making it easier for bad actors to slip into the country. And they are slipping into the countries in numbers we don't even know. Al-Shabaab. Uh, was named a terrorist organization by the U.S. State Department back in 2008. The group pledged loyalty to al-Qaeda in 2012, and according to the Counterterrorism Guide for the Director of the National Intelligence, since 2014, al-Shabaab has killed more U.S. citizens than any other al-Qaeda affiliate, and as of 2022, was its wealthiest component. Good thing we caught the only guy from this organization that's come into the country. Let him roam around for a year, and then apprehended him surely there are no others one can only hope and pray we've got news coming up at the top of the hour and when we return a conversation with ron post founder of northwest medical teams now medical teams international you're listening to the georgine rice show podcast is aired on 93.9 kpdq Hey, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, back in 1979, I was around then, maybe you weren't, but Ron, um, Ron Post was sitting in his easy chair watching the evening television news, like most of us. He saw Cambodians fleeing the Khmer Rouge into Thailand. He was deeply moved and he was inspired to start recruiting doctors to help save refugees' lives. He was a businessman with no medical background, but he prayed for solutions. Well, in two weeks, he had organized 28 volunteers to travel to Thailand. Medical Teams International, uh, formerly known as Northwest Medical Teams, grew rapidly and in 1989 began offering free dental services. Well, today it employs roughly 2,800 people in seven countries. And the founder of all of this, Ron Post, joins us to talk about um, Medical Teams International as well as uh, what he's doing these days and what the future holds. Ron Post, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Georgine. It's always nice to be with you. Well, it's a joy to to hear your voice. I know you've been in the Portland area. We're being heard both in Portland and the Seattle area, and I thought it was appropriate because um, Medical Teams International has a large contingent in the Seattle area that has under um, underwritten the work of Medical Teams International, and I think many of them would like to hear from you as well. 
Well, they're, they've been a great help up there in the Seattle area uh, for years, mm-hmm. and uh, they're greatly appreciated, and I'm glad they're on today. You know, I had the opportunity to serve on the board of um, then Northwest Medical Teams, and it became Inter- uh, Medical Teams International for about six years. And I've seen from the inside out the tremendous work that goes into it. The core values of the organization that they fiercely defend is, is grown out of the uh, the gospel. And I, I just so appreciate the work that's been done and the legacy that you have left. Now, many of us watched the Khmer Rouge back in the 70s. You did something about it. What made you think watching that, first of all, something needs to be done, and I'm the person to help make that happen. Well, I didn't know I would be, Georgine, uh, as I sat watching the television at night, that night, uh, long ago in our West Salem house, and um, watching them picking up a body out of a rice field, apparently might have been a, a teenage girl that had starved to death, and uh, which many, many of them did. And I looked over on the couch, and there lay my teenage daughter. Mm. And I thought, oh, Lord, that could have been my daughter. And as I pondered that, it's like a plan came to me. And it was almost in writing. Uh, It was so clear, and I know it was of the Lord, um, that I should raise up a medical team and take them to that border to help the Cambodians, and I should do it within two weeks. And I, it gave me great pause. I thought, oh, Lord, how can I do that? And I had a hard time getting it out to my wife, Jean, <laughs> who has since passed on. But uh, I finally blurted it out, and she said, yes, Ron, we need to do something. And so I got up out of my chair that night and started working, and and through a series of, I believe, miracles of the Lord, um, I put together that 2018 uh, of medical people, and we went. We were in the air in 20 in two weeks, and so it, it was a miracle that caused it, and and um, forming it permanently was a God thing, and it's been that way ever since. The Lord has led us to many places and open the doors for us to be able to do it. Yeah, Medical Teams International has a stellar reputation in the uh, on the international scene for extending the love of Jesus to all people, regardless of their religion, their nationality, their any distinctive, extending the love of Jesus in practical ways. And that has been the, the core value that has been maintained throughout. After that first trip, did you imagine that the organization that you had just so quickly formed would last and that it would um, ultimately reach around the world? No, I didn't. Uh, I thought it was a one-time uh, thing, and I thought I'd come home and resume my business and uh, everything would be the same, but it, it wasn't to be. And when the uh, great famine in, so in Ethiopia happened, uh, where 200,000 people starved to death, uh, I knew that God wanted us to... Uh, open this up, and I knew it was going to be on a more permanent basis. And so, along with uh, our board, we decided, uh, yes, let's do it. And we launched it and uh, never looked back. Mm. Well, it's been an incredible uh, season of serving. Uh, In addition to the international outreach that most of us are familiar with, 
you also have ministry. Um, Medical Teams International has ministry closer to home as well. You came back to the Portland area to uh, to observe uh, the care and connect part of the ministry. It's a mobile dental clinic. I remember uh, that work from years ago. Tell us a little about a bit about that and how that is an expression of the organization as well. Well, you know, we were going out at the time to some of the migrant farms where people were uh, having tough times and we were bringing food, we were bringing clothing. But I, I got to thinking, these people need dental care. And I, as I began to ponder that, I thought, wait a minute, Lord, there's lots of people that need dental care all around us that can't afford insurance, can't afford to pay for dental care. And I thought, well, maybe we could help because we're a volunteer organization. Maybe we could ask dentists to volunteer their time to, to help these people. And so uh, mulling that idea around with some of the folks at medical teams, I, we decided, yes, let's, let's do it. And the board approved it, and, and we launched it with a used uh, motorhome uh, that we gutted out and put dental chairs in there. And we started that first one, and now it's 13 of them. And they are going to communities. I was just at one just the other day, Georgine, uh, in Salem. And it was so wonderful to see those volunteers on board helping these people with their dental care. And uh, one of the things that I'm excited about is that they've launched a new effort, too, is that they found many people uh, suffered ill problems, you know, with either mental or heart problems or uh, diabetes, things like that. So they have now brought on a a nurse that will screen people for those kinds of things and try to get them the help that they need. And uh, it's it's uh, it's turned out to be a wonderful, wonderful program. I really hope uh, that people will uh, support it. Um, if 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 you're blessed that you have your dental care taken care of, uh, then bless others by. Uh, maybe designating some of your donations to medical teams dental van and uh, they will put it to great use they 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 really do uh, stretch the dollar out to make everything work and they they've done it since i started it and they haven't changed that's one of the things i so admire and respect about Medical Teams International, the consistency from its beginning through to the present. It has continued to be, again, an organization whose reputation is acknowledged by um, the international community and particularly those who serve the poor and those who are in uh, in crisis. Uh, Did you ever imagine the impact of the work that uh, you began and how would you how would you describe the legacy, the impact of the work that you began, were a part of for many years, and now carries on in places around the world that you probably hadn't even thought of? Oh, it's grown far beyond where I was at when I left uh, medical teams, and uh, it's just really continued to grow. One of the areas that I'm very pleased about is the number of refugees they're helping. Uh, we have never in in recorded history had so many refugees around the world mm-hmm. that are in desperate need. And medical teams have stepped up, and they're taking care right now of nearly 3 million refugees uh, in different places around the world. 
and doing a great job of it where they not only are giving care through our staff, but they're training local people in those refugee camps to be health workers and uh, helping their own people. So it's a great program. I'm glad they're doing that. Uh, They're still responding to disaster responses around the world uh, by sending the medical teams. Uh, I'm very pleased about that. And so that great work continues on and will far beyond uh, when I go to be with the Lord. We're going to take a quick break, but uh, we'll continue our conversation with Ron Post. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Stay with us. We'll be back to continue that conversation. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and I am so delighted to have as our guest Ron Post. He is the founder of Northwest Medical Teams, today known as Medical Teams International. It started back in 1979. He's now in his 80s and uh, continues to extend the love of Jesus out uh, into the world uh, through his legacy and his uh, and his work. Uh, again, we're so delighted that when you began this organization, it had the label Northwest. We knew this was our ministry. The people in this part of the country were reaching out into the world, and I, I love that distinction. But the organization has expanded to such a degree that others wanted to be a part of that as well, and Medical Teams International reflects the broad support that this uh, organization has had throughout the world. Um, tell me what you're, you're doing today, and do you still have a heart to serve people who are in crisis around the world? Oh, absolutely. Although I am retired from ministry now, uh, I've never left it. And Mm -hmm. so uh, I'm always there. I I go up, meet with folks at medical teams and try to encourage them and and see what they're doing. And um, I'm always available if they need me. I want to serve the Lord until he takes me home. Uh, I want to finish strong. And I encourage other people to finish their lives strong. And uh, part of that is is our service to others because the two great commands, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And that means helping your neighbor, taking care of them. And uh, I hope that more and more people will get involved with medical teams um, as volunteers. Uh, My goodness, we've had dentists on those dental vans I talked to one that was there 24 years as a, as a volunteer, uh, going out and helping. There's always something you can do. In, in the uh, warehouse at headquarters, people could go in there and volunteer their time to sort medical supplies. Millions of dollars a year go around the world to needy places that medical teams will collect, and, but they need to sort it and uh, log it and shrink wrap it, get it ready for shipping to some place in the world. And I I know of volunteers that have been down there at that uh, uh, building for, gosh, years and years, maybe 15 years or more, because they love it. It does fulfill something within you. Yeah, there is a community that continues to serve And it's always a a community that's available for growth, new members, people who come alongside. And while we may not be able to hop on a plane and serve someone directly, the the work that Medical Teams International does reaches out 
um, in in Jesus' name and does it so well, and we can play a part of all that goes into it. What's what's next for you? I know that you are retired. You want to serve well. What's next for you? Well, I, I have written a book, as you probably know, yes. Georgine, uh, entitled Unchained, and that came out in March. And so I spent a lot of time writing that book. It took me two years, and uh, I, it, it, it takes in my childhood and some of the problems I incurred as a, as a child and takes them right up to um, pretty much today and what's going on with medical teams and the other things I've been involved with. So that's been a, an important project for me to get that done so that uh, hopefully that will leave a legacy for someone. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, again, I'm just so grateful for the work that you have done, that you are doing for your legacy and uh, your encouragement for all of us not to underestimate the role we can play. Uh, it's, it's one thing to see a headline, to watch a news story, and to uh, wring our hands and to feel sorry, but to actually step into the story, to be a part of the solution, and to do that in, in Jesus' name is something all of us can do. And you've certainly uh, you've proven that, that it's possible. Even when it seems remote and impossible, we can make a real difference. And Medical Teams International is certainly one way for us to do that. Uh, from Absolutely. here at home. Absolutely. And, and and by the way, you ask, what am I doing? <laughs> I've been staying busy. Uh, but one of the things I've done, Georgine, is I, I've over time written a lot of devotions that I think would help people in their daily life. And people can read them by free uh, by going to ronpost.org. And they're there if they would like to read them. And I hope it would be an encouragement to their lives. Well, I have absolutely no question that that will be the case. How can we pray for you in this season of life? Well, actually, I just married. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> I just got back from our honeymoon in Hawaii uh, with Barb. Uh, Barb lost her husband six years ago. I lost my dear wife of 63 years. And we have, we both were going to the same church, and we got connected, and uh, we got married, and so uh, we are uh, enjoying that time together, getting to really know each other more, and uh, so we feel blessed that God has given this uh, this opportunity to to uh, have a still have a partnership in this world. Well, congratulations! I hadn't heard. That's wonderful news. Thank you, thank you. And so we'll. We'll continue to do whatever we can. I, I wanted to. I want to always encourage people to get involved with Medical Teams International. It'll, it's one of the best organizations you could ever possibly get involved with, it, whether as a volunteer or maybe down the road you might end up being on the board like you were. <laughs> uh, and there's just things to do, but they're genuine. They do what they say they're going to do. They spend the money wisely, yes. which I'm very pleased with. And so I pray that people will support this great work. And I would uh, I would say the same. I've seen from the inside how it's managed, how it's overseen, the prayer that goes into decisions that are made, and the care given to those uh, who are suffering. For our listeners who want more information, you can go to medicalteams.org medicalteams.org for more information. And again, if they want to follow you, it's ronpost.org. 
Okay, ronpost.org. You might just want to send a congratulations as well. Well, uh, Ron, thank you for joining us. I appreciate your example, uh, the challenge that you've given us, and the opportunity that Medical Teams International provides for us to reach into our days where there are crises and people suffering, that we can do something about it. And uh, again, I thank you for joining us here today. Thank you so much, Georgine. Always good to talk to you. And you as well. Bye-bye. Oh, what a treat to talk with someone uh, who was simply doing what most of us do at some point in the course of an evening or an afternoon. We're just sitting watching the news. We hear the headline. We see what's happened. We're distressed by it. Ron Post decided, and I believe he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, he decided, I need to do something. And while we may not be called to found an organization that has endured since 1979, in this case, with Northwest Medical Teams, now Medical Teams International, we may be called to just connect with an existing organization. And there are so many wonderful uh, charitable organizations in our states that provide an opportunity not only to give generously, but to do so in Jesus' name. I know that Medical Teams International has jealously guarded that core uh, value of the organization, and that is to give uh, and to uh, minister in the name of Jesus. And they have done that, uh, providing uh, good services, care, medical attention, and so on. Um, to anyone who needs it. So I'm so grateful. Again, you can connect with them at medicalteams.org for more information. Well, if you're listening in the Seattle area, we are out of time. I do want to thank Pedro Bartes for engineering and producing in the Seattle area. Thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day, and I hope you'll join us here tomorrow. Have a great night. If you're listening from Portland, stick around. There's more to come. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to the Portland-only segments of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, nearly 40,000 migrants have arrived in Denver over the past year, making a city with a population of just over 710,000 the top destination per capita for newly arrived migrants crossing the U.S. southern border and traveling north in buses from Texas. Well, the influx is taking a toll on the city's public safety net. Starting the 5th of next month, Denver is going to limit the number of days migrants can stay in shelters and send those who exceed their state out onto the streets. In addition, the city's safety net hospital, Denver Health, is reportedly asking the federal government for aid, covering $10 million in unpaid medical bills due to migrants entering the country, the state, illegally. Reportedly, nearly 3,000 migrant children, mostly from Venezuela, have enrolled in the Denver public school system since July. One school principal told the outlet that he receives five to ten new immigrant students every week. It is an emergency and a crisis. James Lamford, American Conservative Union rating for 2022, was 97. 97. So, what on earth is he uh, is he doing pushing such an awful immigration bill? Well, Langford is the senior senator from the deep red Oklahoma. But these days he finds himself defending the indefensible an election year border bill that he's cobbled together with hard left Connecticut Democrat Chris Murphy and former Arizona Democrat Kirsten Cinema. The three are working on the final aspects of the compromise with the White House on border security, CBS reported. Well, the widely anticipated agreement is designed to reduce illegal crossings that have risen to unprecedented levels along the southern border in recent years, they write. The terms of the deal have been shrouded in secrecy, rather, and that lack of transparency has fostered both suspicion and resentment, especially back in his home state. 
There, as the Washington Times reported, the Oklahoma Republican Party passed a resolution calling on Langford to cease and desist jeopardizing the security and liberty of the people of Oklahoma and these United States, based on leaked portions of those talks. And yet, Langford told CBS, I do feel very positive about it because even the initial feedback has been good. We're not sure what's uh, gotten into Langford, but Tennessee uh, Congressman Tim Burchett um, uh, might help explain why the uh, heretofore rock-solid conservative is engaged in lawmaking endeavor that can only end badly for the nation. Hmm. Well, pro-Palestinian federal workers are planning a hunger strike as Israel continues to fight its existential war with the Cutthroats of Hamas, supporters of the terrorist group within our federal government, are planning to hold a one-day hunger strike as a protest. A one-day hunger strike. We'll talk about commitment. A one-day hunger strike could cause some serious tummy uh, growling. In any case, uh, we wish them happy fasting. As the Washington Examiner reported, the strike planned by Feds United for Peace comes as the White House said on Monday that President Joe Biden welcomed peaceful protests as efforts to pressure him into backing an end to hostilities in Gaza between Israel and Hamas as they continue. The president reportedly met with a group of ceasefire advocates backstage at a union conference in Washington last week and protests have followed him around the country ever since october 7th the terrorist strike ignited uh, the gaza strip war with israel by hamas the planned fast comes as the united nations secretary general is begging countries to continue to fund a relief agency in gaza even as it became known that employees of that organization appear to have taken part in the murderous october 7th terrorist attack on israel yesterday the u.n said the number was about 12 we've since learned it's closer to 1200 Again, in a report from Israel. Well, J6 prisoner releases have begun. Several individuals convicted over the infamous January 6th Capitol riot have recently been released earlier than their prison sentences as federal prosecutors anticipate a coming U.S. Supreme Court ruling. At issue is the interpretation of obstructing an official proceeding, which many of the J6 protesters were convicted of doing. The case in question is of J6 defendant Joseph Fisher, which the court took up to review and address the contention that he was found guilty based upon an overly broad interpretation of the obstruction law. Over 150 other J6 defendants have been charged and convicted of obstructing an official proceeding, with many currently serving prison sentences. Based on these early releases, it would appear that federal prosecutors know that the charge of obstructing an official proceeding was too broadly interpreted and applied. The truth is that the majority of these J6 prosecutions were motivated to further a political narrative rather than an unbiased application of law and the pursuit of of justice. In December, we said that uh, Fisher's case added intrigue to hun- the hundreds of J6 prosecutions, perhaps including that of Donald Trump. We'll continue to follow that story. New York City police officers were attacked and beaten by illegal immigrants there. If only someone had warned us that when Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. If only someone had years ago recognized the problem of rampant uh, migration across the southern border and the cartels involvement in it. They're sending people that have lots of problems and they're bringing those problems with them. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. And again, this is not a blanket. Not all of them, but those who enter the country uh, or unvetted 
uh, are mixed among those who come with genuine uh, desires to be a part of the fabric of America. If only. Well, on Saturday, the wreckage of the open border revealed itself to two New York cops near Times Square as they tried to disperse a crowd of um, a rowdy crowd, as they are described. As the New York Post reports, the footage shows a New York Police Department officer and lieutenant initially telling the migrants to move along around 8.30 p.m. on Saturday before things quickly got rowdy as a scuffle broke out between the cops and a suspect who was wrestled to the ground. The footage is stunning in the reckless disregard it shows for law and order and the violence it shows toward two police officers. Now, this wasn't a case of some rowdy hoodlums getting into a shoving match with police. This was was a case of illegal immigrants alternately kicking the head and head stomping the officers, and it gets worse. As the Daily Wire reported, four illegal immigrants were eventually apprehended and identified, but all four were reportedly released without bail after being charged with assault. We're sure that'll teach them. Lawlessness is running rampant. Well, a man uh, might think he'd uh, be safe in the heart of our nation's capital, waiting to pick up his wife late in the afternoon in D.C.'s bustling city center area. But sadly, he'd be wrong. Mike Gill, a married father of three and a former Trump administration official, is now in critical condition fighting for his life after having been shot during an attempted carjacking. About 70 minutes later, the assailant shot and killed another driver, a 35-year-old, Alberto Vasquez Jr., himself a father of two. He would never hurt anyone, Vasquez's father said. That the alleged murderer was later shot and killed during a confrontation with D.C. cops is surely of little consolation to the families of Gil and Vasquez. Indeed, the Gil family's statement is heart-wrenching. Mike is a catalyst for unity and friendship. The most important thing about Mike that all of his friends know is how much he loves his family and how proud he is of his three children. You can't know Mike without hearing proud stories of each one of his kids and hearing about his love and respect for his wife, Christina. Well, D.C. Democrat Mayor Muriel Browser unhelpfully called the crimes indiscriminate and unthinkable. According to The Washington Post, this was just the latest incident to plague the nation's capital, which has seen carjackings more than double from 2022 to 2023. 950 incidents. Chicago's legal aliens... um, are invading, or rather evading, eviction. The Chicago mayor there, uh, Brandon Johnson, recently backed off a planned removal of migrants from a shelter in the city that's intended to serve as a temporary place for migrants to stay. Johnson had created a 60-day policy in an effort to free up space in shelters. However, due to growing outrage uh, from uh, illegal aliens over potentially being forced to move from the shelter, especially during the middle of winter, Johnson has uh, reversed course. We have made the decision to extend the shelter stay policy based on original exit dates from mid-January through the end of March, Johnson stated in a news conference. The extension allows 5,673 migrants originally scheduled for eviction uh, earlier this month to stay until the 16th of March. Johnson came up with his 60-day shelter eviction policy after the city abandoned plans to build new shelters due to high costs. Chicago leaders wrestle with the growing migrant problem. They can thank Joe Biden for creating the crisis thanks to his open border policy. And still, he's not held accountable by his own party. And the administration told the Supreme Court that racial profiling is necessary for the military. I thought it was an um, an existential evil. But on the eve of Black History Month, the president continued his party's ongoing insults of um, uh, irredeemably racist um, policy 
as uh, blacks as patently inferior and in uh, desperate need of government intervention in virtually every case. This latest episode concerns his administration's efforts to continue counting many race uh, counting by race by uh, despite the Supreme Court's ruling last year that such race uh, based discrimination is unconstitutional. As the Washington Times reported, the administration is in a filing on Tuesday asked the Supreme Court not to halt West Point from considering race in its application process. The U.S. Solicitor General uh, argued on behalf of the federal government and West Point told the justices that a diverse officer corps is necessary for an effective fighting force. For more than 40 years, our nation's military leaders have determined that a uh, diverse Army officer corps is a national security imperative and that achieving that diversity requires limited consideration of race. The guess is that there are sufficient numbers of uh, minority cadets, would-be cadets, to earn their spot in that um, in that location. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back to wrap things up. Stay with us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Portland, Oregon. On the night of Friday, April 28th, Robert Ketchum, a 62-year-old man in a wheelchair, was struck and killed by a hit-and-run driver in northeast Portland. Portland police say he died in the street as Portland fire and rescue crews attempted to save his life. His death is still an active investigation. It took an ambulance 32 minutes to arrive to the scene. Ketchum's case is one of thousands of level zero incidents in Multnomah County in 2023, times in which an emergency 911 call was made, but uh, there were zero ambulances available for a dispatcher to send in response. Well, data from Portland's Bureau of Emergency Communications shows that Ketchum was hit at the worst time for a uh, potential emergency response a Friday or a Saturday night. Among the 14,774 level zero incidents recorded in 2023, uh, weekend evenings ranked as the worst time to have an emergency in Portland. So keep that in mind. If you're going to have an emergency, try to do it some other time. It was the most likely time that the AMR ambulance crews were busy on other calls with people forced to wait for emergency transport to the hospital outside the usual, the unusual TriMet bus transport or fire ride. Well, Fridays were the worst day of the week to call for an ambulance. Curiously, a two-hour stretch on Tuesday mornings from 9 to 11 a.m. was the worst time to call 9-11 outside of the weekend evening. Well, the shortage of ambulance crews in Multnomah County is primarily to blame for the frequency of level zero incidents, although long wait times in hospital bays or misuse of 911 could be contributing factors, according to leaders of AMR, the county's ambulance provider. AMR Vice President Randy Lauer told KGW that AMR needs to deploy about 50 ambulance shifts every day with 12-hour shifts. Currently, the company is only able to deploy 32 shifts due to the the, uh, paramedic staffing shortage. The uh, system is the closest to collapse that I've seen it in my 42 years in the industry, Lauer said. Again, speaking to KGW, the national paramedic shortage is like nothing we've seen before. You look at all the ambulances that are parked in our bay. They should be out on the street. Now, if you could staff them, they would be. Well, to make matters worse, AMR staffing crisis is getting worse. The company lost more paramedics than it hired in 2023, reflective of staff burnout and a problem that lacks an imminent solution. AMR and Multnomah County leaders continue to clash over the county's two paramedic requirement for ambulances. Lauer said AMR would be able to make immediate improvements in service if the county lowered the requirement to a one paramedic and one EMT model that's used by neighboring counties. 
County EMS Medical Director Dr. John Jew uh, has told KGW that the two paramedic requirement saves lives. But of course, that's not the case if the paramedics and the ambulances don't arrive. Well, meanwhile, pressure is mounting for the county and AMR to do something. On the 14th of December, Commissioner Sharon uh, Niren, she proposed switching to the one and one model, saying it is unconscionable and egregious that the county's emergency response system has reached this point. Based on her experience as an emergency physician, consultation with EMS directors in Oregon and research of standards of care and best practices, I have first recommended, then begged for the change in the staffing model for months. Yet no meaningful action has been taken, end quote. Well, in a letter sent uh, earlier this month uh, to county leaders, Portland Fire Chief Ryan Gillespie, he advocated for a change in the one-to-one model, saying level zero incidents have now become the norm and that firefighters are seeing firsthand the consequences to the community. AMR and Multnomah County leaders have both expressed interest in subcontracting to improve ambulance response in the county, but neither have taken the steps to do so. The county fined AMR $513,650 in November for slow ambulance response. And given the uh, situation that I've just described, it is an impossible situation. Roughly 12,000 UPS workers will uh, will soon be handed their walking papers, which may come as a surprise to them since this comes just months after the Teamsters Labor Union representing UPS employees agreed to a new labor contract. Well, under the new labor agreement, UPS drivers average annual pay and benefits will rise to one hundred and seventy thousand dollars by the end of the five year contract. That's good news for 340,000 of UPS's roughly 500,000 workers covered under the deal. Yet, thanks to a downturn in revenue last quarter, the company is reducing its employee headcount to cut costs. As UPS CEO Carol Tome explained, we're going to fit our organization to our strategy and align our resources against what's wildly important. Tome also noted that office-based UPS employees will soon be ordered to actually return to the office five days a week. Corruption in Ukraine? Well, it's tough to fight a war when government officials steal funds intended to purchase weaponry for the war effort and instead line their own pockets. Well, that's what five Ukrainian officials are accused of doing as they allegedly stole almost $40 million in funding intended for the purchase of military equipment. These five members of Ukraine's defense ministry allegedly uh, conspired with the Ukrainian arms firm to embezzle tens of millions of funds intended for the purchase of mortar shells, with the U.S. having already sent billions of dollars in equipment and military aid to Ukraine and this type of blatant corruption by government officials. Any sensible person would think twice about giving the war-torn country more aid without first ensuring that a stringent system of oversight is in place to track every bullet and every dollar. Well, in response to the deaths of three American soldiers in Jordan, President Biden says, I hold them responsible and that he's made a decision on the response to attack uh, to the attack in Jordan that is presumably imminent. Iran threatens to decisively respond to any U.S. strikes. Calls are growing for Ilhan Omar to be expelled from Congress after she says she's advocating for her homeland of Somalia, not her constituents in the U.S. Speaker Johnson faces backlash from blue state Republicans over the tax deal. And is Biden losing New Mexico and Hispanics? The answer just might be yes. Pro-life demonstrators have been found guilty. They now face up to 11 years in federal prison. Utah is the latest state to ban diversity, equity and inclusion efforts on campus and in government. Utah joins 10 
other states in regulating bathroom access for transgender people. FBI violated hundreds of Americans' constitutional rights in a Beverly Hills raid and appeals court rules. And more bad news for Harvard as its finances take another massive hit. Stacey Abrams' organization is in danger of going belly up despite $100 million in seed money. And Elon Musk's $56 billion Tesla compensation has been voided by a judge. Well, on this day in history, 1863, during the Civil War, the first South Carolina Volunteers and All-Black Union Army Regiment, composed of former slaves, begins federal service in Beaufort, South Carolina. Mm, makes me proud. 1865, the U.S. House of Representatives joins the Senate in passing the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, abolishing slavery, sending it to states for ratification. The amendment would be adopted by December of 1865. Also makes me proud. 1929, revolutionary Leon Trotsky and his family are expelled from the Soviet Union. 1945, Private Eddie Slovic, 24, becomes the first U.S. soldier since the Civil War to be executed for desertion as he is shot by an American firing squad in France. 1950, President Harry S. Truman announces he has ordered development of the hydrogen bomb. 1958, the U.S. enters the space age with its first successful launch of a satellite, Explorer 1, from Cape Canaveral, Florida. 1961, NASA launches Ham the Chimp aboard a Mercury Redstone rocket from Cape Canaveral. Ham is recovered safely from the Atlantic Ocean following his 16 and a half minute suborbital flight. What on earth must he have been thinking? 1971, astronauts Alan Shepard, Edgar Mitchell and Stuart Rusa, they blast off aboard Apollo 14 on a mission to the moon. And 2014, on this day in history, the long-delayed controversial Keystone XL oil pipeline clears a major hurdle toward approval as the U.S. State Department reports no major environmental objections to the proposed $7 billion project. Oh, would that that had gone forward. But of course, it did not. Um, A judge has dismissed the Disney lawsuit Alleging retaliation by Governor DeSantis, a federal judge today dismissed the uh, Disney suit against uh, DeSantis and members of a state board for allegedly retaliating against the entertainment giant after the company criticized the state's limits on classroom discussion of sexuality in lower grades. According to a court filing, DeSantis and the other defendants in the case had argued that the lawsuit should be dismissed because Disney couldn't sue them over constitutionally enacted state laws. Florida's Republican-led government has stripped Disney's control over a special development district that gave it autonomy over its theme park, including the Walt Disney World Resort. Well, we are out of time. I do want to thank, um, let's see, who do I need to thank today? Things are all mixed up. Sam Maupin for engineering a portion of today's program. Dave King for engineering the bulk of today's program. Uh, James Blend out sick this afternoon. Hey, appreciate your joining us, and thanks for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.